Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Zoom's newest headache and a Philadelphia icon heads to Silicon Valley. But first, saving small businesses. So for many people, that was the goal of the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, a $350 billion pool of money in the initial federal stimulus plan, which was designed to keep people on payrolls. The trouble, though, is that small business, that term, has proven to mean very different things to many different people. For many, it conjures up thoughts of the local bakery or barbershop, you know, mom and pop Main Street sorts of establishments that have seen their revenues disappear. The reality of the PPP legislation, though, was that it was applied to any business with fewer than 500 employees. And as Shake Shack's Danny Meyer said on this podcast last week, he's never seen a restaurant with 500 employees or even 499 of them. Now, none of this would actually matter except for the fact that PPP ran out of money fast. And the result was a lot of finger pointing at larger businesses that took the loans, particularly given that larger businesses often have better banking relationships and more legal resources than do smaller ones. And before continuing, it is important to put in a brief disclaimer here that Axios both qualified for a PPP loan and then decided to return it. So right now, PPP is in the midst of its second round, with over a million new applicants already being approved with average loan sizes just north of $100,000. But that has not stopped the debate over who deserves funding and how the law could and should have been improved. One of my colleagues, Axios Markets Editor Dion Rebowen, tweeted recently that people aren't wrong to be upset about it and that larger companies muscled out smaller ones. Let's dig in now with Dion Rebowen. So, Dion, let's start with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who earlier this week basically said to lots of sorts of companies, uh, particularly publicly traded ones, but arguably venture capital backed ones that said, we are going to investigate anyone who got a loan over two million dollars because he believes in many cases those loans were, quote, inappropriate. From your perspective, is what Mnuchin's saying have any teeth here or is he just kind of rhetorically moving the goalposts to satisfy kind of uh, public relations concerns? Yeah, definitely much more the latter than the former. He didn't lay out any new investments in terms of how they'd go after the folks. And as I pointed out on Twitter the other day, you know, the entire bill, the $2.2 trillion CARES Act with hundreds of billions of dollars here and there and everywhere has one person, literally there's one guy in an office. I think he was at the CFPB. Now he's out somewhere in DC. He's probably at home right now. But one guy who's responsible for overseeing literally the the entire spending in this entire bill. So if they want to actually go after people who are, quote unquote, misusing this funds, which, again, they were supposed to be overseen by the bank and they were supposed to be supposed to have been overseen by SBA, they'd really have to lawyer up and go after folks. But the way they wrote this bill is such that it's going to be really hard to figure out who sort of violated the terms of it. And then to go after them is even another level further. So my response to whether there would be actual oversight and prosecutions or any sort of consequences to this on Twitter yesterday was LOL no. Yeah, and also there could be kind of press scrutiny of this and, and media could go into this, but we still don't know who got the loans unless they're publicly disclosed since SBA still isn't even answering the question of will we ever get a database or other sort of uh, disclosure of who got these loans. So let's go from kind of the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, which I think is where you and I might have a disagreement here. If we're in agreement that by the letter of the law, most folks are probably okay unless they literally committed fraud, you know, when they were applying for the loan documents and said things that weren't true. Explain to me why you feel 
that a company, say, that has, uh, for example, maybe venture capital backing or even a publicly traded company that theoretically has access in some way to the capital markets shouldn't have applied to the PPP program? So it's not necessarily that they shouldn't have applied, right? The whole thing I was saying to you, and we got into this little back and forth on Twitter, was that it's not that they shouldn't have applied, it's that they should have expected this kind of backlash and outrage, and that the backlash and outrage is not necessarily misplaced, that it's understandable. The idea and the point of PPP was to rescue some of these companies that didn't have another alternative. Lots of companies that weren't prepared for this. And and when we say companies, we're talking about businesses, lots of mom and pop diners, bars, restaurants, souvenir trinket shops, things like that. If they have even gotten a loan from a bank, that's generally the only relationship they have. They don't have rolling lines of credit. They can't go to the bond or equity markets. They don't have deep-pocketed investors or really any investors. A lot of these folks, they started off with the savings of the owners. Maybe they've got some family money in there. Maybe some friends kicked in. But that's what they've got. I wonder, though, about that. Do you think that's as much what the true intent of the law was, or do you think it was just bad marketing of the law in the first place? In other words, you hear small business lending program, we're going to save mom and pop businesses, but that's not actually what the actual program is called. It's called the Paycheck Protection Program. In other words, keep people employed really without prejudice to what kind of company they work at outside of the fact that it's got to have fewer than 500 employees. Is this partially that it got marketed as saving mom and pop shops, but that's not really what it was intended? exclusively to do? No, it was clearly intended to do that. There are different pieces of this bill. But even PPP, you have Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy on both sides of the House of Representatives, right? On the partisan divide of the House of Representatives. They both explicitly talked about wanting, for example, venture-backed startups to be included here. They wrote the thing. Yeah, sure. And again, it's about, as you talked about, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And whether Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy said they wanted VC-backed companies to participate or not is sort of beside the point because it's not about that. What we're talking about here is outrage about this about who got the funds and who didn't. So this was one carve out of the $2.2 trillion in the CARES Act. There was money directed towards large businesses. There was money directed towards medium-sized businesses. There was money directed towards unemployment benefits. Like there are different things that were designed to do different, that were designed to accomplish different tasks in terms of rescuing the economy. The PPP was seen as, and and like you point out, it wasn't written this way, but it was seen as a lifeline to small businesses that didn't have other options. So when other companies who do have other options start stepping in and taking this money, it looks bad. I think about in this question of how could they have written it smarter, not just the first way, but even in the refresh, in the sense of so much of the problem here seems to be prioritization by the banks, right? We don't yet know what SBA does when the applications come in, but we certainly seem to know that banks generally have put certain clients in line ahead of others. And to a certain extent, that makes sense, right? If you've got a client that's got a million dollars with you and you've got a client that's got a thousand dollars with you, you're probably going to answer the million dollar client's call first and put their application in the front of the line. That's kind of how business works, in part because there were no guidelines, there were no guardrails put into the PPP, which could have, for example, said, you've got to take them as they come in chronologically. Would something like that have helped maybe solve some of these problems? Because there seems to be so little transparency for applicants once they call the bank. 
Yeah, that absolutely would have been a good thing to add. And I think they could have and should have done that in the second round that they did rather than just kind of saying, okay, this part is for community banks and only this part is for community banks of this size. And I think that was a lot less helpful than just saying you have to prioritize these types of businesses with these funds. But let's also talk about how quickly Congress was able to get this funding put out there because it was a matter of racing against the clock. Unfortunately, a lot of businesses that needed the funding still haven't gotten it. And now the funding that they could have had has been taken up and won't be available. But the idea was to get this money out as quickly as possible. There wasn't that much change legislatively between the first massive pot of PPP money and the second massive pot. There was some specific language for farmers, but there was this carve out for smaller and community lenders. It's about $60 billion of the 310 or so new billion dollars. I wonder, the idea obviously is to help out a small business that might have a, a relationship with a small bank that has less power, less manpower even than a big bank. I wonder though, from your perspective, could this prove counterproductive? In other words, if I've got the mom and pop business, but I work with Bank of America, America or Wells Fargo or some other big national bank, and that money gets spent or gets dispersed before the small business lending pot gets dispersed, I feel like I'm going to get screwed twice on this. Again, going back to, this is all about what bank you picked. That's exactly what I was trying to get at with my last response. Prioritizing the small banks rather than the small businesses was a mistake. And I think that they tried to fix that problem And they created a new problem, which is, and maybe it wasn't a problem at all. This could be intentional because lots of smaller community banks are much more present in the so-called red states that are the base of Trump and Senate Republicans versus a lot of the bigger banks are much more prevalent and work with a lot of smaller businesses on the coasts. But really the thing they could have and should have done at the very beginning was just say, hey, prioritize your smaller clients first. Thank you to Dion Rabowin, editor of Axios Markets, which you can get at signup.axios.com. My final two right after this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Zoom, which has done a remarkable job scaling its video conferencing system to meet all the work from home demand, but a pretty lousy job when it's come to lots of other stuff. The latest problem involves how many people are actually using Zoom. The company earlier this month announced in a blog post that it had more than 300 million daily users. Now that's a global number, but for context, it's just a hair below the number of people who live in the United States. But then a few days later, Zoom made a small edit to that post, unannounced, changing that term daily active users to a different term, daily meeting participants. It may sound very similar, but there's a big distinction. For example, I am one daily active user because I'm just one human being, but I'm on lots and lots of Zoom calls every day. In fact, I'm literally on one as we tape this, which means I am a meeting participant multiple times per day. It's yet another example of Zoom not quite meeting the moment. And finally, trust the process. That is a phrase very familiar in Philadelphia, referring to how their basketball team, the Philadelphia 76ers, spent years trying to tank their way into contention. And the architect of that lose-to-win strategy was a guy named Sam Hinkie, who got ousted as the team's president and general manager before getting to enjoy the fruits of his labor. But as Axios reported yesterday, he has re-emerged as a Silicon Valley venture capitalist, 
raising $50 million for a fund that will invest in seed and early stage investments that have nothing to do with sports. At the very least, founders who take his money will know he is in it for the long haul. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Bugs Bunny Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.